Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou. And I'm Drew Shulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 7, Episode 19 of Grave Importance. Let's get this show on the road. gravely important episode i really enjoyed it i think in retrospect while like taking my notes i feel like the show has this difficulty and like you'll we'll talk about it in story time where it's like anytime they need to focus on another character i.e bobby the brothers basically become like one unit yes (laughs) i agree (laughs) so rather than being sam dean and a plot it becomes sam dean yeah it becomes steen on Twitter sometimes and on Tumblr, in just like written uh, social media, sometimes people will, will because it's so often like Sam and Dean, Sam and Dean, Sam and Dean, that sometimes they'll write like Salmon as in S-A-L-M-O-N Dean. It's like <laughs> Sam and Dean. And I just feel like this is one of those episodes where like Sam and Dean. <laughs> like, Can we just combine Sam and Dean to one section today for the notes? But I think there's enough Dean specifically to dive into. Well, I have stuff for Sam. Like, there's definitely stuff going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peek behind the curtain. I asked Mary. I'm like, I put my notes in, and I feel like I didn't talk about Sam enough. Let's see what you have. And then I saw your notes for Sam, and I was like, this is good. I have nothing else to add. I'm looking forward to talking about it, but I have no additional points to make. They only have, like, what, 30-some minutes? 34, 38? Like, it's pretty short. This is something the show does do, and I feel like these have become some of my favorite episodes, weirdly enough, is the, like, let's focus on another character And again, usually that character is Bobby or Cass, and they are characters I so thoroughly come to love that I'm excited to get, like, an episode focusing on them. So ultimately, like, this already gets, like, a bonus point for just being a Bobby episode. And I also, again, you know my weakness. I love when we get, like, interesting new tidbits of lore and mythology. So, like, we're now, like, learning about, like, the rules of being a ghost, and I'm like... I like I could have just had an entire episode of Bobby like taking notes from other ghosts I'm like how do I do this? Oh my god. So without ghosting this conversation, can you please lead us into the recap? Go ahead and cut me down. All right, three, two, one, ghost. This entire episode is basically ghost Bobby learning how to be a ghost and how to do ghost things. Uh Sam and Dean get a call from an old friend Annie, who used to have a thing with Bobby and potentially Sam and Dean as well as we learned. Uh she goes on a case. Ends up standing them up for lunch because, not because she's late, but because she's been ghost murdered. And now she's a ghost in the same house that the, she was investigating. And then they show up, the boy, the brothers, which means that Bobby does because the flask comes with them. And he gets to learn more about ghosts and becoming a ghost and seeing there's some sort of ghost hierarchy and ghost powers and ghosts can get stronger and weaker. And it's a whole thing. Um, he even learns how to move on flask so he can stay in the house while they leave. Uh, he finally does get to have contact with Sam and Dean through uh, some writing on a mirror. and ultimately he gets to reveal hey i'm here it kind of ends on like a ooh sour note but they do save the day they do stop the ghost unfortunately we lose annie who we only got this little bit out of uh but we have bobby back ish time uh listeners if you have trouble drinking enough water during the day grab yourself a very large glass or bottle of water and drink some water every single time you hear us say the word ghost <laughs> You're going to be so hydrated. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) See, this is 
what I'm saying. Like these these midday recordings, like we're just so energetic. Like what is happening? You started that speech. And I'm like, where are you going with this? Did I miss something? Like what what did I do wrong? And okay, no, you're making a bit. I love it. It happens every once in a while when I have enough energy. So this episode was written by Brad Buckner and Eugenie Ross Lemming. So it is a Buck Lemming episode. It was directed by Tim Andrew and originally aired on April 20th, 2012. That's three weeks after the last episode. These weird gaps. It's like, it's, it's weirdly interesting. Like I almost wish, like, I almost want to know before I go into an episode, but I think that would like sour or something so it's always funny to think like this was the one they waited three weeks for again bobby's return pretty cool but i just find it strange because like i'm kind of wondering what the hell was happening in 2012 that like these episodes just weren't like what was going on kind of thing is my is my question because i don't know i don't know also i feel like i don't know why for some reason like buckner and lemming make me like feel like the the scene in the episode which i know the reason to bring out stuff right now of the two kids with a video camera going into the house to find their, like, their obviously dead friends feels like a very Buck Lemming thing. Is that, like, am I, like, I don't know what it is about, like, kids with the video cameras and, like, those kind of tropey moments. Is that a thing they do? Like, I don't know why, for some reason, like, when I saw that, I went, like, this feels like a Buck Lemming episode. I don't know why. Uh, I mean, you were right in that it was a Buck Lemming episode. Like, that's, you know, but I, I don't know if that specifically is how I would describe Buck Lemming. I, I would describe, I would start by describing Buck Lemming as, like, complicated sexual stuff. Like, is how I would start with, because they tend to write a lot about that. And we're going to talk about that today. <laughs> I need to go back. I feel like there's been other episodes where we, like, randomly get, like, teens, like, exploring and it tends to be their episodes for some reason or i mistakenly thinking it is but i gotta look into that now perfect you'll let me know next time in this episode we learn a little bit more about ghost lore but from the ghost side so that's two that's two sips of water for anybody who is keeping count I basically see it as like a bit of a callback to season four, Death Takes a Holiday, where Sam and Dean become ghosts with the help of Pamela, and they have to learn like how to be ghosts. I completely forgot about that episode. Like, I didn't even occur to me to make that connection, but like, we've already had an episode of like learning ghost physics. I know, with little Cole, who was teaching them, like it was, it was really pretty emotional. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get another call back, this time to Bobby dodging his Reaper. Um, and we also get people's reactions to that information. And it's not great. I, I guess, like, there's also the part of me that wants to learn more about, like, Reaper logic. And it's like, why do some people get a Reaper and some people don't? Like, is it supernatural deaths that are unexpected? Like, Annie didn't get a Reaper. She just got killed by a ghost. Like, do we know when and where Reapers do or don't show up? Well, so that's the thing. Like, she is blocked... Right? Like, remember in that episode, Death Takes a Holiday, the whole reason why uh, people couldn't move on was because the Reapers didn't come. Because the Reapers were, like... They were being, like, summoned somewhere so they weren't available. Right, exactly. I'm like, this was season four! It's, like, three years ago! So, but the Reapers just couldn't come, and that's why, like, people couldn't move on. But in this case, like... There's clearly some sort of like ghost magic that's going on so that her Reaper couldn't show. And that's why she says, like, I I didn't dodge my Reaper. I was stuck. And so, like, what I assume is that once, you know, they gave her the hunter's funeral that her Reaper showed and took her to wherever she was supposed to go. 
Well, even then, and actually, I want to argue that one because I think she has a bit of conversation about how, like, when you burn the body and get rid of the spirit, you, you there is no heaven or hell. You just stop existing. I mean, we do get an answer to that later, so. Oh, okay. We get another callback, this time to Sola Sam. I'm a little upset about that one of all things. So it comes up in a conversation about Sam basically having sex with Annie. Like, there is a moment where they hook up. Uh, very, like, hunter, end of the world type kind of thing. Like, you know, stress, we're both hunters, let's do this. And I almost would have rathered it been a thing that Sam did, not Soulless Sam. I think by making it Soulless Sam, it takes some of the impact away of, like, Sam's history and, like, growth and, like, the relationship. Because to me, the whole idea that, like, he she had a relationship with Bobby and then Dean goes, well, I also hooked up with her. And then Sam being like, you weren't the only one. It kind of makes it feel like, you know, we're all human. We all have instincts. We all make these moves. And she's allowed to make these choices. By making it soulless, Sam, I feel like it detracts a bit from that. I see what you're saying. The thing is, like, Sam never got to hunt alone. Unless he was soulless. Again, there's always the fanfic gap where you could have been like, Dean was away for a weekend doing something and Sam took on a solo hunt. And I, I personally thought it was hilarious. Oh, I, I loved it entirely. I just would have loved it even more. We'll talk about it more in story time, but we do find out that Sam, Dean, and Bobby have all hooked up with Annie at different times. I'll say that. Uh, we get a glimpse into what the brothers think about Bobby being back, and it's not all roses and daisies. This week, our theme is expectation, which has a Latin root that means to await, to look out for, to desire, hope, long for, and anticipate. And I think that what's interesting about this theme for today's episode is that, like, it's to think about what the brother's expectations are and whether they're met or they're subverted. As I was writing about, like, everybody, like, that kept being the idea of, like, what are they expecting versus what they got, and again, whether it was subverted or what they expected and i think subversion outweighs a little bit here but it does speak it speak to the character's expectations what they're looking for in their world and what they expect in their life and i think it is some eye-opening moments especially coming to bobby i think it's also a call to like examine our own expectations mm. do you want to get us started with dean yeah i really feel that after last week the idea of bobby coming back at least from the brother's point of view was not even, like, remotely on the table anymore. Like, Sam had very much shut this down for Dean. And despite Dean's want and hope, I feel he had kind of let go of it finally. Like, last week was really where he was like, you're right, this is never happening. Oh, So, like, literally expectations were set to zero, only to be surprised by a message in the mirror. And I want to point out how Dean was still doubting it until Sam confirmed it was not him. But even that feels, like, weirdly far-fetched. Like, clearly a moment of doubt... But the alternative being that, like, a really mean-spirited, pun intended, prank from Sam, like, would be even less expected in my books for Dean. I mean, there has to be an explanation to that message on the mirror, right? So, like, what are the possible explanations? And so, like, you kind of go through all of them, even though some of them are, are surprising and unexpected, right? I'm, like, thinking back to the brothers' experiences with ghosts and, like, of course, like they've hunted ghosts. Some are bad, some are less bad, and some are even actually good. Some 
ghosts like got stuck because of unfinished business and others got stuck because of circumstances that were out of their control. We talked about that a bit earlier. So we've seen like a pretty wide spectrum of scenarios. I can make puns too. <laughs> but the only time that they've really seen a ghost that they had a relationship with was their mom in home back in season one. And like the circumstances around Mary's death were so supernatural, for lack of a better word, I guess, like that it almost makes sense that she would come back as a ghost or that she would become a ghost. But the thing is, like Bobby's death was really incredibly heartbreakingly ordinary. And when he passed away in the hospital, like, I really don't think that either Sam or Dean were like, oh, yeah, there's a strong possibility that he could come back as a ghost. So I completely understand that, like, knowing he really is back would subvert a lot of their expectations. There's, like, layers to this. So there's the expectations, like, right away that the death was, as you put it, so... I feel like human's a weird word to use, but it really is just, like, human that like there isn't that level of like something spooky going on that could lead to a supernatural thing. Then it becomes a layer of hope. Both Sam and Dean do show over the last few episodes, this hope, this like, you know, like Sam admits, like the second there was even an inkling that Bobby was back, I spirit board and talking board and tried to get a hold of him. And I've now reset my expectations to know there is no ghost Bobby, which finally sets Dean to go. You're right. There isn't one, even though he was doubting this whole time. So we really have this good, like, reset of expectations here. And to my next point, and this goes, again, for both Sam and Dean, but, like, I really like how we get two ghosts pulling a completely new trick today. Like, like even us as an audience, along with Sam and Dean, have, like, a pretty clear expectations of what a ghost can or can't do. And both Bobby and Haskell move an object that they are connected to and are thus able to move more freely. And I think there's a level of like expectations where it comes from hunting things that like you kind of have seen every trick in the book. So to get something like that to surprise them was a nice surprise for us as an audience and a less than nice surprise for them. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is really cool, like and also really, frankly, terrifying when you think about it, because then like ghosts are no longer just like confined to one space like they can move, which is which is terrifying, frankly. So, like, this is one of those ways that the show is able to, like, subvert our own expectations as the viewers uh, by introducing this new lore. And I think that I really like, or, like, what I really like about this is that it's still so in line with existing ghost lore on the show. Like, it doesn't contradict anything. It doesn't retcon anything. It just, like, builds up on it. And I love that. In an episode where we're kind of seeing the brothers like deal with expectations and like new discoveries at, that we as an audience get the same experience. Like it's a surprise. It's a subverting of expectations, but it's also not like upsetting, you know, like which is nice considering everything else that is upsetting in this episode. Like it definitely does raise like one small annoyance I have. Like the only gripe I have with this episode is the like, let's assume there is the part of the episode mostly, not episode, but like the season where it's mostly on Dean, where he's like believing that there's Ghost Bobby. Would it not make sense to then assume he has to be connected to something that's with them? Like, he's not haunting every motel in the world. He'd have to be connected to something. So it seems weird they never made the connection to like something they have been carrying that is Bobby's is likely what he's tied to if he is there. Like, it just seems like one of those things where it's like they all kind of overlooked it. But I can also, like, while it annoys me, I can understand that... In the moment, yeah. It's not something you're thinking of every time. 
it's gonna come up don't worry like they're they haven't forgotten but like there's definitely a need for like coming down from everything from all of that news and everything so very clearly state the fact that like sam goes you're right like every time i tried to connect with bobby Gene wasn't around thus the flask wasn't around no wonder it kept failing like i like that as much as it's like a weird amount of like how did you not put that together before at least you're admitting you didn't put it together before versus just like shrugging it off so we did talk about this already and i want to go back to it because it was earlier in the episode but we do you get the surprise uh, that uh, Dean gets surprised, at least, uh, by Sam admitting that him and Annie had hooked up? And it just feels like such a routine Dean move to brag, you know, putting on his macho and flaunting it to make sure people know how straight he is, uh, only to find out that Sam is not impressed, but rather shares the same connection. Like, I I think it was a really good, like, I feel like this is the kind of thing Dean probably does on the regular when they talk about someone like an, another hunter or like going back to an old town where they might know somebody and Dean gets to go like, oh, we're going back there with Lucy, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And, you know, Sam doing the, yes, you hooked up with her. We get it. You're manly. Let's move on. So to have Sam be like, actually, <laughs> I think it's just a very nice, like it sets up the theme in the episode moving forward in a way that I feel like we haven't had in a while, which I love. I honestly really love the sexual politics at play here. Um, and I would ask listeners who are game, of course, to be in tune with how they're feeling about all of this. Not so much about like how Sam and Dean are reacting, like focus on how you're feeling about it, because I think it's really fascinating. And I think it can also tell you a lot about like your own preconceived understandings of sex. Like I know that I've thought about this quite a bit and I'm like, oh, like, wow, that means that I believe this or like it means that like I believe that or like it's been passed down. I inherited that thought. Right. So anyway, just a food for thought to begin with. So the conversation starts with Sam telling Dean that Annie and Bobby slept together. Right. Like, which is interesting. Like he didn't tell Dean about his own experience with Annie, but Bobby's experience with Annie. Like, I kind of wonder how Sam was expecting Dean to react to this. Like, what was like, what was the end goal here? Um, and then Dean tells Sam that he also slept with Annie, which I don't think Sam expected from his reaction. And then Sam tells Dean that he also slept with Annie when he didn't have a soul, which again, the play on expectations here, I think is really great because it's unexpected that Sam would have a one night stand, but it was also very much expected when he was soulless. And I think that like none of these three men expected that they would have like all slept with the same woman because at the end of the episode, Bobby says like, you didn't know her like I did. Like there's like this little <laughs> yeah. line at the end that I'm just like, well, actually, Bobby, like let me tell you about what we found out earlier this episode. And this is where I sort of want to bring in the idea of like expectations of sexual activity uh, especially in a heteronormative society, the fact that it's very different for men and for women, like women are expected to engage in much less, if, if not none at all, uh, sexual activity than men, and even less so before marriage, right? And that can be rooted back to patriarchal lineage. Like before DNA, how did we know that a baby's father was who the mother said he was, right? And the only way to know that was by controlling women's sexuality. So food for thought here about all that. Oh, yeah, 100%. I'm glad we're touching on this because I think this is a moment of like my expectations being subverted. I am actually shocked that Supernatural had a sexually active female character 
who we have confirmation of multiple partners and at no point shame her for being sexually active. I know. I love that. Like this to me for a show that like hits so many like heteronormative stereotypes in the negative way to allow this and to like, I don't think it's celebrated per se, but to like view it in a positive light though. Hold on. Let's go back in the thoughts of like the 2012, because you're saying that it like it was seen positively. She's not shamed, which like is is true for today's standards, I would say. But also like Dean does say, wow, that's a lot of foxholes. Like it's three people, like three people in like a lifetime that we're aware of is actually not that many people. You know what I mean? Like it's not. And so it's like, okay, well, maybe there was no need to make a comment. And the fact that it's played so awkwardly, I think also says a lot. And like, there's like that. So I think, I think it's much more like, um, sorry, I, I'm getting the word in French, but like, it's much more mixed uh, reactions, especially when you start digging a little bit. But I actually agree with you that it like, I like this idea of like, hey, the hunter community is pretty small. And like, that stuff's gonna happen. Like, yeah. No, I agree. I think I think as you peel the layers back a little more, you start to see like, I think I'm like over um, praising because like <laughs> the bar is so low <laughs> because the bar is so low. Yeah, like I'm shocked the word slut wasn't used somewhere in this episode to describe her and like bless them for like at least having that much restraint. Yeah. I think even when I was saying all this, I'm like, yeah, I know there's that one line that Dean gives, but like it's not as rough as it could have been. So I want to forgive it, but you're right. It still kind of hits on the point And given the time it does, yeah, kind of fit better. I still do love the whole scenario. I still do love the idea of like this, this world building in a somewhat positive and neutral light. Also, I do need to bring this up. It has nothing to do with Dean. Well, it has something to do with Dean. You'll see. So when they did sleep with Annie in their like own time, uh, it was always what they call like a foxhole situation, very Hemingway, right? Which reminded me of like our end of the world speech conversation. Like, these three guys slept with this woman because someone at some point said some variation of, so, last night on Earth. And again, there's a lot of food for thought there. Like, I feel like I'm digging into cliches here when we go into the subjects. I feel like we see, like, I've heard stories, like, in real life, but also in media of, um people away like you hear like these old like i mean you and i have both watched our flag means death and i think there was a preconceived notion that like oh pirates slept with each other because that's the only available option and why would you you know deny your baser needs before the realization that they were just allowed to have relationships and find romance even with people of the same gender so like i feel like there's kind of like this blanket world for the hunters where it's like we're always living like every day could be our last. Why should we deny ourselves our wants for affection and love and sex? Well, there you go. I'm thinking specifically of the last night on earth speech that he made to Cass, right? Like that's what I'm thinking about. I feel like as much as it's a speech we hear use and we refer to, I feel like there's sort of always a blanket, like this could be our last night on earth. So why don't we enjoy it? Regardless, like I feel like it doesn't need to be said every time. It's implied with every hunter when they're around other hunters kind of thing. Yeah, that's true. Definitely. How about Sam? Like I said, I feel like we already brought up Sam's expectations being shattered in regards to new ghost tricks and obviously his relationship with Bobby. 
But what I think gets Sam here and subverts his expectations is that he was wrong because of his own lack of investigation. Like he wasn't, he wasn't not wrong per se. He was mistaken because he overlooked something in his equation, like a critical piece that he had not accounted for. And this being the flask would have changed the outcome and his expectations. But I think when you're in a place of one grief two recovery and three pre recovery, like the end of the line with Lucifer, there's a lot of reason to like understandably make mistakes and miss things. And I think now that he is finally beginning to come to terms with recovery and realizing the mistake he made with the flask, there's like a level of expectations there that like he is the research one. He's the one who finds solutions and he missed something so crucial that he's like, he, he doesn't know how to handle it. Like he, he like admits to it quite easily that he made a mistake which almost feels like a growing moment for Sam a little bit too, because I feel like he doesn't make mistakes very often in this kind of way. So I kind of just like the idea that like he realizes the mistake he made in his own expectations and is able to like come to terms with it so easily. I do think that Sam is in a very particular headspace this season because of his like Lucifer situation, if we want to keep the wording from last episode. And it's basically coloring like all of his thoughts and all of his decisions. Like, Sam was dealing with hallucinations of hell and torture. So he had to be like extremely discerning of the stuff that was happening in his life because he had to be able to tell what was real and what wasn't, right? Like, because what kind of assurance did he have that like the possibility of Bobby being back wasn't some form of torture from his hallucination of Lucifer? Like this episode really makes me reflect on Sam's expectations of like real or not real to make a Hunger Games reference. So... I think that that's also why he was so dead set on not reopening that door that he closed that one time, right? Because like he can't really start doubting all of the decisions that he's already made um, about what was and wasn't real. Like he needs to believe in something that his perceptions and his logic is right. Um, Like for example, in that moment, like, Dean could entertain the idea because there was less on the line for him, like, psychically, if I can say it like that. Like, Sam having to doubt everything uh, over and over again would definitely be devastating for him. So yeah, I, I do think that Bobby being back definitely shattered some of that for him. Sam and Dean, I feel like, are so intertwined in this episode as, like, a whole in character, like, realizations. But, like, on the uniquely Sam part of it, it really does come down to the fact that like he we're, we're only like, I feel like even last episode we talked so much about like Sam's like post recovery phase from the Lucifer situation. This is the first time we're seeing it where it's slightly more removed and it's not like on the table as much. Like, I don't really feel like anything in this episode really links back to like, like we link back to soul as Sam, but we never really like go back to, the Lucifer situation in any real way, except to talk about the idea that like, while he was initially investigating, could there be ghost Bobby that it was still present in him. So there's a level of like the expectations were never reset. He never got to like, it's almost like doing an experiment. Like I feel like he, he did the experiment. He got his result and he never had a chance to redo the experiment in a new scenario, i.e. recovered 
Uh, and had he been able to maybe on a clear head sit with Dean and try to figure it out, like, is there really a ghost Bobby now that I'm like clear headed and I can like be more analytical, but he never got that. So we're still living with old expectations he had set for himself and seeing them shattered. So it's, it's kind of interesting because it does level, level of like your expectations or Sam's in this case can be set at a point where the information is different and we don't ever, we don't get the chance or thing to go back and reevaluate those expectations based on new criteria. Very scientific, Sam. I mean, yeah, he is. We know that. All right, let's finish off with Bobby. Yes, I'm glad we get to do a little Bobby section. Another th- a third headline again. <laughs> like I said, this is very much a Bobby episode. So I think Bobby had the most expectations for many things, like right away based on his knowledge of ghosts, that he'd be able to do certain things. And clearly we see him having trouble with those. Uh, like he mentions, I think he said he knocked over it with either the paper or the book and it knocked him out for two weeks. You know, and we see him become frustrated by his experiences as he had expectations that he had, I guess, set with himself based on his experience with ghosts. And now he's learning it's not as simple as he thought it was. I loved that. Like, not the fact that he was knocked out, obviously, but like that little bit of world building and character building of basically like exposing Bobby's preconceived ideas of like being what it's like to be a ghost based on what he had seen as a hunter. Like he seemed to clearly expect for that experience to be much easier, right? Like he's probably seen ghosts like move furniture like it was nothing before. And so he was like, I can do that, right? Like (laughs) in all of his audacity, he probably was like, I can do that. And then it turns out that it's actually quite challenging to move stuff around, even if it's just paper. So like there, I can definitely understand the frustration there. Oh, fully. And I think like another layer of the expectations along with, you know, what a ghost can do that he perceived he'd be able to do he was not able to get Sam and Dean to like realize he was there. This is something I, I I, like you laid a seed last week and I don't like it. And they talk about it again a bit this episode, which is the idea that like, you know, what happens to a ghost when they've been around for too long. And I'm wondering if how quickly he's getting frustrated by these things is actually him just being annoyed that he can't do them or can't get the result he wants versus you know, the ghosts wearing away and becoming a little less themselves. Like, is this really his anger or is he turning bad? It is another roller coaster of emotions where Sam and Dean and us too, as the viewers are like, oh my God, Bobby's back. And like, we're so excited at that prospect and they're really excited. They're really moved. And like, and then the reality starts to set in because like, we know what to expect with ghosts. And all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, Bobby's back. And I think that this really speaks also to how differently we react to things, depending on like what our expectations are of those things and of like the outcomes of those things. I don't know why I get this like weird icky feeling at like Bobby getting so frustrated because like, I think we've seen him be frustrated like normally. It doesn't feel out of character for him to be like annoyed by these things, especially in Sam and Dean and their lack of perception. Just sort of like, it's almost comedic and it feels like them. But there's now, like, with the obvious, as you described, the oh no, Bobby's back kind of feeling, is where does Ghost Bobby go from here when he gets too, I don't know what the term to use here, but, like, aged, like a, like a bat, like the opposite of a fine wine ghost gets worse with age. <laughs> a vinegar. <laughs> well, there you go. But then, like, we've seen ghosts 
go either like the one we uh, are introduced to in this episode, the the older Victorian one, who has basically just withered away and is just like a nothing. But we've also seen angry spirits that are like just pure, like raw emotional rage. Which way is Bobby going to go? And based on what we've seen here, I'm afraid that it's the latter and I don't like that. Um, which leads to my last point, which is the fact that I feel like Bobby is, like you said, they're ex- he's expecting a, wow, Bobby's back! And that's not what he gets. You know, when they finally get to see him, like, Sam is suspiciously quiet, but Dean makes it very clear he thinks this was a terrible idea and a mistake. And, like, basically spurns the sacrifice that Bobby made by, like, giving up his after- his chance at a happy afterlife in heaven to be here to be with them and like i think bobby is like rightfully allowed to be pretty pissed here because he did give up from what i understand of ghost lore and maybe will be corrected more but like he is not going to get to go to heaven now because he chose to be a ghost and when he's finally dealt with he'll just be nothingness like he kind of said to annie and like, I understand why that would be upsetting to Sam and Dean, but, like, Bobby gave something up. Like, damn it, Dean, take the win here, even if it can be... Yes, it will be painful down the line, I get this. Like, I'm so two-sided on this, because I agree with both of them so much, and I'm so mad the two of them don't see it. Ugh, mad. I found that it was also, like, I'm gonna say emotionally realistic, because obviously, like, we know that this is fiction, uh, but more than that, it's also like supernatural fiction. So like, I feel kind of silly saying, oh, this was really realistic that that Dean was mad at Ghost Bobby, you know, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but the that that thing of like somebody doing something, saying that they're doing something for you, and then you realizing the implications of what they've just done and being pissed off about that, and then them being pissed off at you for not being happy. Like, I just think that that's just so human, so... Emotionally realistic, yeah. Yeah, because 100%, if I were in either of their shoes in that scenario, I'd react exactly how both of them did. Like, I don't disagree with either one, but as the outside observer, I'm mad at both of them. (laughs) I want my cake, and I want to eat it too. (laughs) Even if my cake is a ghost. You have to use self-rising flour. (laughs) That works on two levels. I've spent so many years dealing with the spooky and strange. You kind of just get used to some of it, I guess. Like, I never for once thought I'd find myself having to sort out my cooking salt from my demon warding salt. Though I'm sure we've all had to improvise on a last minute scrambled egg. I know how to clean and reassemble a shotgun as easily as I can change a tire. And it's as simple for me to banish a ghost as it is for most folks to set up a mousetrap. Not the board game. No living person can do that thing properly. So it stands to reason why I'm so very confused about this one. A ghost that I just can't seem to get rid of. I've done my homework. 
I've hunted down every last thing it might have been attached to in its life. I think... I think I did, at least. See, I can't even ID this damn specter. And yes, before you ask, not that you can, you're a book. Or someone reading my journal, in which case, you better hope this is post-mortem. Or else you're gonna have yourself a ghost issue real soon, bub. Anyways, what I mean is, of the folks it could be, I've already dealt with or confirmed their remains are not around. Plus, plus now it's following me, taunting me. I've started returning to motel rooms or my car and finding things rearranged or messages in the mirrors taunting me. No threats, just mockeries. Like it's a game for it. Heck, I even came back once to find it had set up board games all over the room. Yes, even Mousetrap. We are at episode 19 of this season, which has 23 episodes, which means that we now have four episodes to wrap up the season. I cannot believe that we have almost gone through season seven. I'm so happy about it. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, but that also includes like the cast storyline, the Bobby storyline, and the Leviathan storyline, because we haven't talked about the Leviathan in a while, right? Like, and usually this show like also introduces like the following season's conflict before the end of the season. So like that's just a lot of material to go through in four episodes. And it's funny because I was thinking about it knowing what's ahead and I'm like that is an insane amount of information to go through in four episodes. So I figured that before we get swept away in all of that and I never get a chance to talk about it again, I want to go back to talking about like what I see as the mistakes of this season and how the show has dealt with those. So first, obviously, there was killing off Cass and I can finally say that this has been fixed or at least like it's in the process of being fixed. Then there's Dean killing Amy, which was basically dealt with by having Sam kill Dean's daughter, Emma. I don't think that there's just any more to say about that. Like, either way, neither of these women are ever mentioned again. So I guess that, like, the problem is just being fixed by sweeping it under the rug, which is, like, something that Supernatural is actually pretty good at doing. Then there's the burning down of Bobby's house, which isn't fixed yet. So maybe there's something to look forward to in season eight. And here's the thing. Originally, I had included killing off Bobby as a mistake. And I had very specific, like, later seasons reasons for that. But I'm not so sure anymore. I'm not so sure anymore. And I've thought a lot about it in the last few weeks. And I think that it's the combination of killing him off and cutting off the brothers entirely from everything else that they knew that was the mistake. Because it completely also cut off the viewers from everything that they knew. And I do believe that that was a mistake, as we're seeing now when the show is like kind of clawing back on those changes, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to Bobby in a future episode because I do, I, I have thoughts about that. So if we can play a game based off this thought of yours, we have four episodes left in the season and I'm convinced we're going to leave Cass a bit on a cliffhanger. Like, I don't think he's going to make any big moves the rest of the season. I kind of suspect, like, we know he's alive now. Will, like, this was the setup for next season for him to return. If he does make a surprise appearance, it'll be like a deus ex moment at the end of the season to save somebody. 
and that'll be his return to the trio. But I also wouldn't be surprised if Meg and Cass become a bigger deal next season, and that's kind of our new plot line. I, I like my big thing is even in four episodes, like what are we gonna do with Leviathan? Like the next four episodes better be like pure Leviathan, like plan, finding a solution, executing the plan and winning or losing potentially, whatever that might mean. Or otherwise we're getting Leviathans next season, and I'm fairly convinced that's not happening. So I'm intrigued to see what happens. We also have the Frank mystery, like he's missing, presumed dead, but like we haven't had that confirmed. What's going to happen to Bobby? Like, is this something they're going to drag on for a few seasons? We're going to get to keep Ghost Bobby for a little bit? Or is this something they're going to deal with this season? I don't know. They have done a all right job at shooing away the things that kind of made the beginning of the season harder to enjoy and fall in love with, uh, as you mentioned. Um, some, unfortunately, like the Burnt Away house are, unless we get Ghost Bobby's house, that's the next ghost we get. <laughs> um, I don't expect that, but hell, the show has surprised me with worse. But that's uh, that's definitely where I am right now. I I, I think we're going to get four solid episodes of, like, Dick Roman dealings. Four episodes of Dick. This week, we have a message from Sheer. Before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail. To respond to anything we discussed today, you can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. We also want to remind you that Mary and I will be answering the question, what was the best surprise you ever received for our Roadhouse supporters on our Impala Talk? Stay to the very end of the episode to hear a short clip. Hi, Drew and Mary. Um, my name is Sheer, and I'm a listener from Israel, and I love your podcast so much. Thank you so much for making it. I am completely new to the fandom and to the show. I started watching it last October, and I finished on December. It took me two months to binge the entire 15 seasons. Yeah, it was a it, it was a hectic time of maybe eight episodes a day, which is hard to do with three kids and four jobs, but I managed because it got me hooked so bad, and I love it dearly. Um, I wanted to discuss with you about the effect of the bingers, the people who don't get to have a week of break in between episodes or even months like those who've watched the original when it first came out and you guys you have time to process and talk about it and really understand the motives and a few episodes back you were talking about that the show sometimes put the you know the thing right in front of your face and it's not subtext it's just right in front of you and to me a person who binges i i need that because i don't have time to process whatever's happening and everything just moves so fast and that includes the emotional uh, roller coaster that this show is putting me through I mean within one night I can laugh my head off and cry terribly and be so scared for the characters I love and I thought it would be interesting for you guys to to talk a little bit about that about the effect that the show has on the people watching and the difference between the people who get to have time even to talk about it with their friends and, you know, really get time to process this. I luckily I was brought in to Supernatural by a very good friend of mine. And I, you know, I talk to her every time after a, an amazing episode or a scary episode or an emotional episode. And she was there, but she she well, she just said, yeah, isn't that cool? We didn't really sit down and talk for like an hour like you guys do. 
And we're actually going to our very first Supernatural convention this June. And I'm so freaking excited. Uh, so yeah, thank you so very much. I enjoy listening to your analysis uh, of everything. I am such a Sam girl. And I just love that you guys talk about him because I love him so much. And I'm going to meet him. I'm so excited. I'm sorry. Thank you very much. And please continue doing the awesome job that you are doing. Um, and hi from Israel. So for full transparency, we got this message like last summer, I want to say before June 2023. So like all of the dates that you're hearing, like they're all like from last year. So Sheer, thank you so much for your lovely, lovely voice memo. And I think that you have such a good point because <laughs> Drew and I were just talking about this, about how quickly I binged the X-Files. Uh, he's, he's laughing. He's on mute, but he's laughing. <laughs> because I literally, I think I watched like 10 seasons of X-Files. Granted, like some of the seasons are like six episodes, but like, and two movies, I think probably in like, less like I would say a month like that's probably how long it took me to go through all of them and that did mean like emotional roller coasters that were like pretty important right like I have a good friend who always says that like Supernatural and the X-Files share a lot of DNA and I so incredibly agree with that so the effect on of bingers on fandom I mean the reality is that that's mostly what is going to happen for for new viewers from now on right like maybe not like as quickly, but it's not uncommon for people to start Supernatural and then a couple months later be like, yeah, I'm done. And so now I think the effect of that, there's going to be a couple of things. Like first, it's the fact that like, like you said, there's very little time for processing. And so like things, the fact that it's so in your face about certain things makes it easier for people to follow. Like there's some things in the X-Files where I'm just like, wait, did they mean to leave it so like, like, did, was that, I'm like, I didn't get that. What happened? Like, you can tell that the X-Files was not created with binging in mind. Uh, whereas like Supernatural is, it lends itself to it a little bit better. And so there's that, like you mentioned, but I think that there's also like the fact that people who are now watching the show are now watching it through today's lenses. And I do believe that that allows for a lot more queer readings of the show. And that means that more and more when people are going to be talking about Supernatural, it's going to be about that. And again, like I keep wondering about the legacy of Supernatural. And I think that like when you think about it that way, and also like the effect of fandom, like the online discourse about it, like I find it super interesting that now if you go online, like when you read discourse about Supernatural, so much of that discourse is shrouded, I guess, by discourse about the finale or like, you know, in, in a good or a bad way, depending on where you locate yourself in the fandom. And so I think that that also has to do a lot to do because like when you wait a week or when you're in the middle of the show airing, like you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how it's going to end. And so again, your expectations might be very, very different. And so you're going to look at it and interpret it a certain way. And then once you've seen the whole thing and you go back to it, it's going to be completely different. And like you and I see that on a weekly basis where I'm watching something and I'm like, this is ridiculous. Or like I say something and you're like, well, I don't see it that way. And I'm like, Drew, believe me, <laughs> like if you knew, <laughs> you would feel this way too. So like we have that difference 
difference of perspective that is just so interesting now because less and less is there going to be discourse about like pieces of the show. It's mostly going to be about the show as a whole, as a finished quote unquote piece. So those are my thoughts about that. Sheer, thank you again for this message. I, as Mary thankfully pointed out, the, the time frame for this message, I can say, I hope the convention was great. You had some good time and I'd love to hear some stories from it and see any photos you took uh, versus where I was going to say, I can't wait for you to beat Sam and Mary to be like, uh, that would have been like a year ago almost. So thank you for the time travel checks. But I think it's so interesting because like, I think I recently fell into an odd hole where like this has become something I had to think about recently because while we have the advantage, yes, that I'm watching this every week, there is also the fact that I am getting information and then being I don't think forced is the right word, but being put in a position where we are discussing information, knowing there's more out there that you have knowledge of that I don't, which changes my perspective of things. Like, I guarantee you some of these episodes would be so different if I were to, let's say, watch an entire season at a time and then go back episode by episode. I think it would ruin part of the experience. I think it would very much like limit the conversations we have and the discoveries we make, especially on my end. I, I really see what you mean when it comes to binging a series, how it affects. And I'm thinking back to more modern series I've watched and how they don't really rely on the cliffhanger as much because they know you can just hit next on the streaming service versus like you said with the X-Files, I kind of had a night where I was like, it's late. I'm going to finish this episode. It's the finale of season uh, two. I assume it's going to end with a cool ending and then I can start season three tomorrow. And they literally leave me on a to-be-continued, and I'm like, well, next, I have to watch the next one now. Like, yes, all ideally streaming is still wanting you to watch the whole thing and binge it now. It's kind of the, the model. But, like, imagine having to wait a full season on a literal to-be-continued. Like, we've seen it in Supernatural, and I'm, like, blessed that I only have to wait a week for it. Or, reality, a day or two if I just watch it early, knowing I'm not recording for a few days. But then again... I recently guested on a podcast where I we talked about the show Lost and Lost relied on the week to week mystery like Lost lived and died on the fact that you'd watch an episode and they would reveal a bit of information and leave more things hidden. And that's what built the communities and the, the mysteries and the like, you know, the theories had Lost or a show like Lost come out today as a full bingeable series. I don't think it would have succeeded the way that the original series did for a lot of reasons. So I think you're right. In binging something, it changes the experience. And I think it's it's healthy to notice both the negatives and positives. And I think the big positives are that when you don't have as much time to like have these discourses between episodes the way either we do because of our format or people did when it was airing originally, it's nice to have the show, as I pointed out, like you said, blatantly share the theme sometimes because it does help drive a point home when they know the viewer might not have the time to like reflect on an episode the way that we get the time to. So I think it's a very interesting point to bring up and it's one that I haven't really considered until today. So thank you very much. What is your reflection and call to action this week? So I think this episode teaches all of us, and I will very personalize this, into managing expectations. Um, to quote a um, piece of paper you and I are familiar with, under promise and over deliver. You mean this little leaflet thing? Yeah. 
<sighs> that we were gifted once for Christmas, and it's a. <laughs> We yes. set expectations for the world and people around us. And with time, I've learned to like not expect too much. Like I, I I set my expectations not like below average, but lower so that I'm not spurned or upset by things. And I think there is a tendency to not allow yourself that same level of freedom. So not to not expect the best for myself but to limit my expectations of myself so that I'm allowed to surprise and delight myself as well. I love that. Thank you. I've actually been thinking about uh, expectations a lot lately, especially like the expectations that I have of myself. So this makes sense with what I'm saying, like what you're saying. And it's this idea that like we overestimate what we can do in a day, but we underestimate what we can do in a year. Now, like, as you all know, and you know, Drew, like I wear a lot of hats, like between being a parent and my PhD research and my paid work and this podcast, like it's just a lot to juggle sometimes on a daily basis. And the reality is that like, I've been pretty much recovering from burnout lately. So like earlier this month, I came across a quote from uh, St. Francis of Assisi, who said, um, start by doing what is necessary, then do what's possible. And suddenly you're doing the impossible. And that's really what I feel called to do whenever I feel overwhelmed, to start with what's necessary. I love that. And also, I must just go back to your uh, wearing multiple hat metaphor. I also imagine you've like crocheted or knitted each of these hats yourself too. Absolutely. Yes. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Mary Vigourou and myself, Drew Shulman. Thank you to everyone supporting us on Coffee or Patreon, and an extra thank you to our Bunker supporters, L, Jeremiah Thomas, and Simone. This week, we'd like to thank Sheer for the message. You can go to carryingwayward.com for the links to our merch store and all of our socials. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron or a coffee subscriber. You can also leave us a rating on Spotify and a review on Apple Podcasts. Carry on our wayward friends. I mean, I, the thing is, I hate surprises. Like, I am not a surprise person. Like, if you want to give me extreme anxiety and have me not talk to you for a few days, like, tell me you've got a surprise for me. Like, honestly, like, that is the best way to just make sure that I have a shit day. Like, I just, I hate surprises. I have trauma around surprising events. <laughs> like, <laughs> nope. The idea of people screaming at me as I walk into a room genuinely is like my idea of a nightmare. Like a crowded room making a lot of noise that I am not expected. Like worst, worst. So yeah.